0: Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast.
1: Back and better than ever, Greeny with you, presented by Progressive Insurance. And on the Goodyear hotline, it is Major League Baseball Legends Week, kicking off today with the great Cal Ripken Jr. He joins me live in 15 minutes. Going to be great. We have a legend a day as we work our way towards the start of baseball season this week. So that will be fun. Plus, we have the Elite Eight. Plus, the NBA is a beautiful disaster. We are busy. Let's go. Here we go! Go, go. Only one place to start. There it is, my quarterback carousel music. And it was spinning out of control over the weekend. My only frustration is that I wrapped up this show at 12 o'clock Eastern time, as I always do here on Friday. And like 20 minutes later, the NFL turned completely upside down with the monster trade, with San Francisco trading all the way up to number three with the Dolphins, who then swapped picks with the Eagles. And so by now, as I'm sure you are well aware, the way it all turned out was San Francisco will have the third pick, the Dolphins will have the sixth pick, the Eagles will have the 12th pick, and a whole lot of other stuff changed hands as well. And so I know the way this turns out is you have a variety of questions. And the good news is I and I alone have all of the answers. So we will make my answers to your questions. Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. And here we go. The first question is, who are the 49ers taking? Mac Jones, Trey Lance, or Justin Fields? I'm glad you asked. We had sneaky big news from Mike Tannenbaum on Get Up this morning when he gave us a very good hint as to who is going to be the number three pick. Tomorrow, there's a pro day at both Alabama, and reportedly both John Lynch, the general manager of the 49ers, and Kyle Shanahan are going to be in Tuscaloosa to watch Mac Jones throw instead of Justin Fields at Ohio State. And again, that's not necessarily outcome determinative, but I think it's a very strong signal of which way they're leaning. Again, he lost his signal there, so you missed one very important word, which is that Ohio State's pro pro day is going on on the same day. So tomorrow, Mac Jones has his day, and Justin Fields has his day. And the 49ers, head coach and general manager, are going to Alabama. They're going to go see Mac Jones. If you read the tea leaves, I believe Mac Jones is going to be the third pick in this draft. Who does everyone tell you Mac Jones reminds you of? Who does everyone say? Who is the comparable, the comparison in the NFL about Mac Jones? Everybody says Matt Ryan. Who is the coach of the San Francisco 49ers? He's Kyle Shanahan. He was the offensive coordinator in Atlanta when Matt Ryan won the league MVP far and away the best season Ryan ever had. And by now you're well aware they were 28-3 up in the Super Bowl and everything went to hell in a handbasket. But you know the point here. You might say to yourself, that's crazy. Everyone thinks Mac Jones is the fifth best quarterback. You don't know what everybody thinks. You know what our evaluators think. And you know what the teams want you to think. But I'm telling you right now, the 49ers went up there because they are going to take Mac Jones from Alabama with the third pick in the NFL draft. Straight talk, wireless, no contract, no compromise. So that's the first question you have. Here comes the next one. Did the Eagles move back to avoid taking a quarterback if one slides to them? This in keeping with the idea that the owner has said, no ifs, ands, or buts, we want the quarterback to be Jalen Hurts. The answer is both yes and no. They didn't make that move because they don't want to be faced with that conundrum. They made that move because they've made up their minds. Jalen Hurts is going to be their quarterback. And as such, there is a lot more value at six. The Eagles did the exact right thing. This was a great move for them. I said on this show last week, the Eagles adding Jamar Chase to this roster would be like adding really fancy rims onto a car that has no engine. The Eagles stink. Their roster is completely devoid of talent. They need to add a bunch of good players. They don't need one great player. They need like five or six good ones. Get more picks. Bring in more people. Let Jalen Hurts tell you. Let him give you the answer. Either he is or he isn't the quarterback of your future. And they'll do just fine with whoever they get at 12. I know every player in this draft at this point. There's a ton of good talent that will be there. There are a bunch of offensive tackles. If that's the direction they want to go, there will be more receivers that they can take there at number twelve. Maybe someone like Jalen Waddle slides down there. If not, there are other players. A guy like Kadarius Tony from Florida. These are names you may not know. I do. The point of it is, I think the Eagles did exactly the right thing. The next question that comes from the deal on Friday: Does this mean the Dolphins are 100 percent sold on Tua? Answer: Yes. They went all in. They committed to Tuatunga-Vailoa. They had the opportunity to restart that. They are a win-now team, as evidenced by the fact that when they traded back to 12, they then traded back up again to 6. They're going to get Jamar Chase, the superstar receiver out of LSU, or Kyle Pitts, the superstar waiting to happen tight end out of Florida. And they're making a run this year. The Dolphins are behaving like a team that believes they can win the Super Bowl this year. Year, and that means they're all in on Tua. Is that the right decision? Tua will decide that. Time will tell. Sitting where I sit now, knowing what I know now, I think it is the right decision. You invested so much in getting him to give up after one year would be a mistake. I think it's the right thing to do. Finally, are the Jets locked in to Zach Wilson at number two? That is the question, and the overwhelming answer is yes. It is clear the New York Jets have made their decision. They're going to take Zach Wilson, the quarterback from BYU, at number two, despite the fact that Lewis Riddick pointed out on Twitter that Sam Darnold is 100% capable of making the same ridiculous kind of throw that Zach Wilson did at his pro day. The Jets have made up their mind. If you're a fan of that team like I am, it doesn't make any difference whether you think it's the right thing or the wrong thing. The time has come to just hope for the best, hope it works. Because the bad news is... I asked Kimberly Martin this morning, our NFL insider extraordinaire, what is the trade value right now for Sam Darnold? And here's what she said.
0: Well, the conversations I had with NFL GMs, most of them said maybe a third, and they were sort of not really feeling great about that either. You know, one even said a late third might be a little too rich or possibly a conditional fourth.
1: A late third or a conditional fourth. Now, part of that, at least some part of it, I have to believe, stems from the fact that they waited this long to do it because so many teams that might have wanted quarterbacks, not that might have, so many teams that wanted quarterbacks don't anymore. The Bears got Andy Dalton and the Colts got Carson Wentz and the 49ers just traded up to the third pick and all these other places. New Orleans made its decisions. And there are so many openings that have closed that you look at and you say, where does Sam go now? I'm not sure who it is that's interested in him. I'll say that it is my opinion that for a third round pick, Sam Darnold could wind up being a steal, could wind up being one of the best trades your team ever made. But I can't prove it. And at this point, neither can he. And that's why we wind up where we are. So that's how it begins today with the the aftermath of a trade that shook up everything on Friday. And this is coming off a huge weekend later in the program today. We will set aside plenty of time for your calls because there's so much that happened this weekend for you to react to. A ton coming out of the NBA. Obviously, the NCAA tournament is red hot. And we begin Major League Baseball Legends Week today with the one and only Cal ripkin jr who will join me coming up next greenie is presented by progressive insurance drivers who save with progressive save over 750 dollars on average call or click today find out if they could save you hundreds on your car insurance cal ripkin right after this i'm greenie on espn radio for the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call clickranger.com or just stop by. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. Shopify.com slash network.
0: Greenie, the podcast.
1: Oh, yes, yeah, right. I'm Greeny. This is ESPN Radio. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And in just a moment, on the Goodyear Hotline, I will bring in the first of what will be a week filled with baseball legends. We're a week from the start of the season. And we will have a legend today, this week. I know John Smoltz is ready to go one day this week. Alex Rodriguez, we're firming up the list. And we will start it with one of the all-time greats. Cal Ripken Jr. will join me in exactly... 30 seconds after this news from ZipRecruiter. You know, it's good news for baseball fans. You will be allowed to attend games this season where you sit in pods with your group. And businesses everywhere are making the gradual shift towards normalcy, which means more hiring. That's where ZipRecruiter comes in. ZipRecruiter's matching technology finds people with the right experience for your job and invites them to apply. No wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free only at ZipRecruiter.com slash Greeny at ZipRecruiter.com slash G-R-E-E-N-Y. There's a high fly ball to left field. Did he do it? Did he do it? He did! Pal Ripken Jr. on his first at back in his last All-Star game. hits a home run. Who wrote this script? What began on May 30th, 1982, and continues September 6th, 1995 this game with the angels trailing is now in the books, and let it be said that number eight cal ripkin jr has reached the unreachable star calvin edwin ripkin jr cal the iron man welcome to the hall of fame cal boy that's a good open we got to do more of those that is well done Cal Ripken Jr. How about that for an introduction, Cal? I'm not sure the crew could have done a whole lot better than that. Oh, that gave me chills all
0: over again. Um, But I guess when you're sitting in your rocking chair some 20 years after your uh, career ended, um, you look for those moments.
1: (laughs) That was a good job of putting it. And I should have said greetings to you and welcome as always. It is great to have a chance to chat and I hope that you were well and I hope you're as excited as everyone else for the start of the baseball season.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I just got my uh, season tickets from the Orioles, uh, and uh, so we're planning on uh, showing up. It's interesting, I had a a, a group of tickets in the front row. Um, I think, as you know, right there in the front row, we're going to be broken up into some pods, but I'll still have four um, of the best seats in the house to watch the game. So I'm I'm looking forward to it.
1: Great. And we all are here, and we're excited to have you to kick off our Legends Week. Let's start with some interesting stuff. We heard that moment there, Chris Berman. That might have been the best call he's ever had the night that you broke uh, the, the Ironman streak record, the Lou Gehrig record. And I point out that the longest active Ironman streak in the sport right now is held by Whit Merrifield of the Kansas City Royals. He is uh, currently 14 years away <laughs> from catching you. So, so uh, that's, the record seems pretty safe for the moment. So, so let me ask you this. I'm sure that when people ask you about your career when they encounter you anywhere, that, that streak is the first thing that comes to their mind. But when you are alone and you think about your career, what do you think about first?
0: Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, I'm very proud of the fact that uh, I was able to be counted on and to play all those games in a row. Um, the hardest part po- po- probably was uh, when you're rebuilding because it changes the focus on why you're playing. The easiest part is when you're playing for a winner. And so uh, when you're an everyday player, uh, my dad's definition was you're an everyday player. You are meeting the challenges every single day. So I'm proud of that. But I'm also proud of uh, the ability to to play shortstop, Um, you know, for 15 years. I remember when Earl Weaver sent me uh, over to shortstop out of the blue from third base. I got my feet on the ground in my rookie year. It was thought of to be a temporary move, and then I'd move back. You know, maybe we put some bolster in in the offense, and maybe we'd turn it around. And that temporary move lasted 15 straight years. Mm. And Earl said at the end, you know, if I would have moved him to short earlier, we would have won the pennant. Because uh, that was the year we uh, we lost it by one game, and I always felt uh, a sense of pride in being able to play the position. And I know people like Derek or Alex and those guys would give me credit for uh, um, um, starting uh, starting uh, to be considered, you know, for the bigger shortstop. But they would have made their own way anyway. But I look back on it. I probably was most prideful on, on the ability to play a key position in the in the lineup and do really well.
1: I mean, look, they may have found their own way anyway, but someone had to be the first one to do it. And you were. I, I grew up at a time when shortstops, the great shortstops were guys like Ozzy Smith, who were brilliant defensively and, and every, every now and again would get on base for you and steal a base. Uh, and, and you really did usher in an era. You look at what's happening in the sport now with these dynamic, young, hard, you know, slugging shortstops. It really changed absolutely everything, and, and whether you meant to or not, you were the first one and really did change the perception of the position across the entire sport.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I was just going over there to try to do the best I could, um, and uh, um, in some ways, you know, I was very athletic. I had a late growth spurt, so, uh, you know, I, I was coordinated enough to play the position, um, but I still remember the, the likes of uh, Ozzy Smith. I mean, he's, he's basically a gymnast. He can move very quickly change direction very quickly, you know, uh play in that role, but having, having gone over at shortstop at my size and, uh, being able to have success. And it is interesting when Ozzie and I were talking at the hall of fame, I think that we are the only two shortstops at least in the modern era to have over 900 chances in a year. Mm. And, uh, but we did it in two different ways. You know, I was uh, positioning. Um, uh, I wasn't nearly as quick as uh, Ozzy was, so I had to cut down on my area, anticipate a little bit more. But in the end, it's the job you do. It's the uh, I was able to put up over 900 chances. Ozzy was able to put up over 900 chances. And if you look at the types of shortstops, in the end, it's how you get it done. And uh, so I was very, I'm very proud to be uh, thought of. You know, in the, uh, in, the in the likes of. Uh, the Ozzy Smiths, for being able to have that many chances.
1: Greeny and the great Cal Ripken, what position did you think you'd play? It, it, coming up at a time when no one your size generally played that position, Did you? Th- what did you think would be your uh, ultimate fate in the majors?
0: Well, I mean, uh, all of my attention that I got from the scouts in high school, uh, I was a very accomplished pitcher. So uh, in my junior year, the scouts started showing up all the time uh, scouting me as a pitcher. And I was told that I had a chance to go number one as a pitcher by many different teams. I ended up going in the second round to the the Orioles. But the Orioles, I think, might have been the only team, maybe the Kansas City Royals, that had any interest in me playing um, another position. So it was really interesting. When I got drafted by the Orioles, part of the conversation is, uh, what do you want to do? I felt that most of them in that organization wanted me to pitch. And I said, uh, ironically, I said at the time, when I was given that choice, uh, pitchers only get to play one out of every five days. I want to play every day, so I'd like to tr- start out at shortstop. And Dad dad was very diplomatic and a company man, an organization man. He said, you know, of all, all the players that we've had in Cal's situation, we found that if you start them as a pitcher, it's very difficult to go back to being a regular player. Hmm. So we can start him as a regular player. If that doesn't work out, then you always have the option to go back to pitching. And I think it was his way to, to help me get, uh, make the choice. And I made the choice. Um, I'm Similar to Derek Jeter's start, to his career, I made 32 errors in 64 games, I think. And it seemed like it was the wrong choice to make. Um, but I kept, kept with it. Uh, the speed of the game slowed down for me a little bit. I started hitting uh, really well. And then once I got it, uh, I knew I wanted to play shortstop. But as I grew, they moved me to third. And uh, second, uh, in double-A AA and triple-A, I had my breakout years um, that put me in a position to be in the big leagues as a third baseman. So I thought that I was going to be like Brooksy, you know, uh, try to hold down that uh, position for as long as I could. And Earl had other ideas. Earl uh, saw me as a a guy that could lead in the middle of the infield, and he moved me over there. And uh, I love the position of shortstop. I love the position of third, too, but short gives you a chance to see the data, you know. And, And we live in an age now where data is being analyzed all over the place I didn't have the, the, uh, the sheets to tell me what to do. I just had my memory and my intuition and, uh, and some of the stats you could, you could put into your memory bank and help you play the position of uh, shortstop um, really well. So I love being able to look at the decision-making. When the catcher puts down a sign, it's an option. The pitcher says yes or no. Um, and then you have to ask yourself, can the pitcher execute on the pitch that it is called? All those things were a factor in how you play defense.
1: It's fun to listen to, and it's stuff I'd never had a chance to talk to you about before. The great Cal Ripken with me on the Goodyear Hotline, helping you discover the road ahead, Goodyear more driven. I I want to get to the game today, but I I did want to ask you just one other fun one from the past. So you're Cal Ripken, you're coming to the plate, two outs, bottom of the ninth, you're down one run. Who is the last pitcher in your career, the last guy you want to see on the mound in that spot? (laughs) Well, statistically,
0: I'm sure it's Dennis Eckersley. (laughs) Um, when Dennis was a starter, you know, I faced him when he was at Boston and then he went, uh, he went over to Chicago with the Cubs and he came back as a believer to, uh, uh, to the Oakland A's. And I think I've hit, I hit two homers off of, uh, Dennis. Um, but I think I was like, oh, 65, you know, as, uh, facing him as a closer. Um, he had excellent control on the outside part of the plate, uh, and he would never give in, um, uh, even though he wouldn't walk you, he had such good control that, uh, and Velocity came up quite a bit when he was uh, in a short man role. So it would probably be Dennis. Um, um, Dennis is not as fearful as a bat as uh, Goose Gossage was. You know, Goose Gossage in the very beginning, you know, he was throwing 10 miles an hour harder than anybody in the league. And when he got wild, he was wild up and into writings. Sometimes you couldn't get that out of your mind. So I would would prefer to to face the setup guy normally. Um, And when you hit third, uh, as your time in the order comes up, most of the time, that third time, I mean, coming up is in the eighth inning. So, maybe I got insulated from some of the great closers.
1: Kyle Ripken with me here. Akers, yeah, Gossage was scary just watching the game. I can't imagine what it was like having to go up there. All right, let's talk about the way the game is played today because we hear a lot of concern about it. I had I had the great Bob Costas on here recently talking about his concerns for the impact that analytics have had on the game. And And as you just pointed out, analytics are everything now. And I get this piece of it at Cal, everyone in the game should be doing everything they can to maximize their chance of winning. No one should complain about that, but the reality is that many people fear that it is it has impacted the watchability and the entertainment factor of the game. What are your concerns relative to that for baseball in 2021
0: Well, I mean I love the analytics, and uh, the, the problem is uh, what are the applications from the analytics that uh, is going to help you be a better player and it's going to help you be a a um, better team, and so if you go overboard on anything, uh, my dad used to say all things in moderation, and he also, also used to say that every 10 years, people are trying things that were tried 10 years ago. Um, in this particular case, you're getting a whole lot more data, and then you gotta ask yourself, well, what is our competitive advantage with this data? And, and I think a lot of the math guys are looking at things and trying to find trends, and then trying to, to put that into application for teaching. I'm a little concerned about that. When you start to teach to the analytics, there's still an art and an understanding. And no, no two players in the big leagues hit exactly the same. Their swing path is not the same. Their strength is not the same. Their exit velo is an indication of uh, their potential and how hard to hit the ball, ball off the bat. But in my day, I, you sit around the cage and go, man, that, that sound is different when this guy hits the ball as opposed to somebody else, which is a different way of just saying that the ball comes off his bat faster. Um, so I'm kind of concerned about that. Some of the small small ball, although I was very encouraged by the World Series last year, um, when you're facing the best pitchers, you just can't rely on hitting the ball over the fence. And so the numbers might tell you that this is the best way to score runs and you don't want to give up outs by bunting and you don't want to get thrown out on the bases. Uh, the hit and run is gone by the wayside. But if you watch Mookie Betts last year in the uh, in the World Series, he manufactured quite a few runs, but especially with the contact play at third. You bring the infield in, you take a chance on getting a good jump um, on a ground ball, and it's very difficult to throw a runner out like Mookie Betts um, if the ball is not hit directly at you and you have to make a quick catch and a transfer to the plate to get him out. So I love the uh, smaller ball parts of the game that have kind of gone away. Um, the hit and runs, the, uh, you know, bunting at the right time. Mm -hmm. Earl Weaver was early on saying, I don't want to give up an out early in the game by bunting. Gene Malk said, if you score the first run, you got a better chance to win the game. So there were all kinds of ways in which you play the game. Um, My concern is that everybody wants to rotely play the game and just uh, try to build their lineup with a bunch of power pitchers and power hitters.
1: And the strikeout is
0: not a whole lot of fun to watch.
1: That's the concern a lot of people have about how – short the outings are and all the rest of that we saw that in the final game of the world series but overall let's hope that we have a terrific baseball season and let's hope that all the interviews this week are as much fun as this cal it's always a pleasure i hope next time we can do this in studio i haven't seen you in a long time here but we'd love to have you as always thank you so much enjoy the start of everything and we'll talk to you soon
0: yeah, thank you, Green. I'd love to
1: see you. Take care. That's the great Cal Ripken, who is just, just terrific. He has been in studio with us many times since we moved the show to New York, the TV show in particular. He's come by quite a lot whenever he's in town to do stuff, and he's, he's just a fascinating person. And I hope that you were able to glean from that the cerebral nature of his approach to the game. Like, I think a lot of people who watched Cal Ripken's career, you just assume, well, he was athletic enough at his size to play that position. What an extraordinary advantage. I mean, to be a shortstop and to hit the way he hit was ridiculous. But the, what you realize from that conversation, and I've had those kind of talks with him before, his cerebral approach, I mean, his father was a lifer, obviously. He was a, one of these baseball family guys the same way people like Aaron Boone are and many others. So his baseball IQ, his understanding of this stuff, his understanding of analytics before we knew what the word analytics meant has always been off the chart. So it's always a pleasure to talk with him. And again, we have a week filled with legends as we continue. Greeny with you on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests on the Goodyear hotline. Jam-packed we will be as we continue. But the next order of business, I think, is a very interesting and important one. The scoop. Here's the scoop. People are not talking enough about the NFL going to a 17-game season. For the life of me, I cannot believe that this isn't more a topic of conversation than it is. The NFL owners are going to meet this week, and the, the length of the NFL season is going to change. Why is this not a bigger topic? I'm not suggesting anyone should be trying to stop it or that anything can stop it. The minute they negotiated it into the collective bargaining agreement, you knew the owners were going to do it. 17 games equals more money, why on earth wouldn't they do it? But the ramifications, the implica- the implications of it are enormous. People aren't talking nearly enough about it. Now, obviously, player safety is a huge one. The players will be, and rightfully so, mostly concerned about that. And if I were in their shoes, that's what I'd be concerned about too. But just for fans, let's just consider some of the implications of this. The numbers that we make a big deal out of in the sport get skewed completely out of relevancy, completely. There have been 16 games in an NFL season since 1978. I happen to remember when there were 14 games. That was from 1961 through 1977. Before that, in in the 40s and the 50s, there were 12 games in an NFL season. What that basically means is they change this like every 40 years. How long have there been 162 games in baseball? You know the answer to that same as I do because of the asterisk and Roger Maris and everything else. That's 60 years ago. The NBA, 82 games, they don't change this stuff often. And so it completely skews everything we think of. It's going to change, all. first of all, all of the statistical comparisons. A 5,000-yard season of which there are, I think there are eight in the history of the sport or something like that. Well, it completely changes the relevancy of that. You had a whole other game a 1,000-yard rushing season, as I said, and so many others. So I just don't think we're talking nearly enough about it, forgetting, of course, scarcity of product being as valuable a thing as it is and playing an odd number of games, which is just a rarity. Overall, I have to be honest with you, I don't like it. If they came to me, if they said Greeny, which they should, if if they had consulted me on this decision and just let me be the ultimate arbiter of this as the world's foremost authority on all matters, I would have told them, don't do it. I don't think it's a good idea. I think you're in a great place right now. I don't feel a need for a change. But what I will tell you with certainty is when they're playing that 17th game this season, I'll be watching just like you. And I'll be just as into it in all the same ways. And I'll be playing DraftKings. And your Fantasy League team is doing whatever it's doing. And maybe my team is playing for a playoff berth. And maybe your team is. And we will be watching. So we can complain about it all we want. But we will lose nothing in it. The fans lose nothing in it, and I grant that completely. If I'm a player, that's a whole other list of concerns. All right, Greeny with you. In the meantime, every single day leading up for the next month, the first round of the NFL draft is actually a week from tonight. And every single day, I'm going to give you a little draft prep. So you ready for the draft. Let's get started.
0: Greeny's Draft Prep.
1: And here's what my draft prep is going to be. I know so much about the draft because I've been studying this stuff. so. Fr- I've now done 56 players. I will have done 100 by the time we get to the first round in a month. So I've watched tape of these guys. I've read about these guys. I've, I've, I've emailed people and asked all these questions. And I have all this information, and I have nothing to do with it. So I'm going to give you a little draft prep every single day. And here is the first piece. You do not have to jump for a wide receiver in this draft. There are multiple potential stars waiting for you late in round one and definitively into round two and maybe even three. Remember these names if you don't already know them. Rashad Bateman, Terrace Marshall, Elijah Moore, Tutu Atwell, Nico Collins. There are a bunch of guys out there who can play, who are going to get drafted after the first night. And bear in mind, Chase Claypool was a second-round pick. A.J. Brown was a second-round pick. D.K. Metcalf was a second-round pick. Terry McLaurin was a third-round pick. Chris Godwin was a third-round pick. The receivers that get taken at the top of the draft are not always the best ones. So, look, I think Jamar Chase is going to be a stud. I think Devontae Smith is a fascinating weapon. Jalen Waddle will go up there very high. Kyle Pitts, I think, is a unique player, the tight end coming out of Florida. But again, there are a lot of receivers. Did I even mention Kadarius, Tony? There are like, I think McShay, I've I've been working mostly off McShay's grades. I, I have it in the other room. I think McShay's got nine receivers that have either a first or second round grade. So there are a ton of good receivers. So if your team moves up to take a receiver, that might have been a mistake. Little draft prep for you here, and we'll do something like that every single day as I work my way towards the draft, and you work your way towards watching the entire NFL be reshaped on one night. Coming up next, the green list, and I love it. It is in honor of probably my favorite player ever. If I I had to name my two, well, let's put it this way. My two favorite players in my lifetime are both on today's green list. Let's put it that way. That's my tease. The list is on the way. Your call's coming up soon, too, as we continue here. Greeting with you, and right now, a word from HelloFresh. Stop eating the same old, same old every night. Change things up with HelloFresh. They are America's number one meal kit for a reason. HelloFresh delivers simple recipes and high-quality ingredients picked at the peak of ripeness, it's also 28% cheaper than shopping at your local grocery store and 72% cheaper than a restaurant meal without sacrificing the quality. That's according to Zagat's Dining Survey. Go to HelloFresh.com Greeny12 and use Greeny12 as the code for 12 free meals, including free shipping for a limited time only. That's HelloFresh.com Greeny12 and use the code Greeny12 for 12 free meals. Back with The List in a moment. I'm Greeny on ESPN Radio. Must be 21-plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details.
0: Greeny, the podcast.
1: Uh, We are having fun here today. My thanks again to Cal Ripken, who is always terrific. I always enjoy talking to him, and it kicks off Major League Baseball Legends week. I know that we have Smoltz lined up later this week. We'll have one legend today. I know that we have A-Rod lined up later this week. Anyone I'm forgetting that's booked so far, we're going to get a major league legend every single day and we'll have a lot of fun with that. Say it again.
0: Ryan Sandberg, oh, Ryan Sandberg. On, on Wednesday Ryan Sa- and it looks like Ozzy Smith on Thursday. Oh,
1: beautiful. So that's great. Rhino is great. And I can I get gives me a chance to tell my White House stories. One of my favorite stories ever. I'll tell this quickly before I get to the list. When Mike and I went to the White House in 2008 for that baseball celebration, we, we, we hosted a, a t-ball game on the lawn of the White House in the summer of 2008, and it was a wonderful event, and Ryan Sandberg and John Smoltz, actually, was the other one, were the two honorary coaches, and then there was a dinner that night that we were invited to, and Ryan Sandberg was there with his wife, Margaret, and I was there with my wife, Stacey, and so were tons of, we were not by no means the only people, there were probably 150 people at this dinner but they don't seat anyone next to their spouses. This is the, the, you know, it was a very, very formal dinner. And so my wife, Stacy is sitting at a whole other table with a whole other group of people, and everyone kind of gets sat randomly with whoever they're sat with. And I got seated next to Ryan Sandberg. (laughs) It was one of the best nights I've ever had in my entire life. I'm in the White House having dinner, and I'm just asking Ryan Sandberg questions about baseball for the entire night. And we had a great time, and my wife and his wife hit it off, so we've sort of remained a little friendly. But whatever it is, he's a great guy and obviously was an unbelievable player. So he will fit very nicely on the list this week of Major League Baseball legends. But speaking of the list.
0: The list is what determines who matters in this business.
1: The Green List. Today's list is being done in honor of one of my all-time favorites, Walt Clyde Frazier. Today's his birthday. Tell me again, Nuna, how old he is? He is 76. 76. My God, Clyde is 76. That's impossible for me to believe. I've said it many times. I grew up, I slept in New York Knicks number 10 footy pajamas. I had a poster of Walt Frazier on my wall leaning against a Rolls Royce wearing a fur coat and just looking about as awesome and cool as any person I could have ever imagined. A little, you know, fifth grade greenie couldn't imagine anybody being cooler than Walt Frazier. So in his honor... Today I list my list of the coolest athletes of all time. Number five. At number five, I'm going with my guy Jalen and his crew from the Fab Five. The Fab Five changed everything. The Fab Five, and Jalen will talk to you about it. I mean, all day long. They made they wore black sneakers, they wore black socks, they wore baggy shorts, they all shaved their head. None of that stuff was out there. Like People weren't doing that. If you've seen the, the 30 for 30 on them, people sent them hate mail and death threats for dressing and looking and behaving the way they did. All they did was completely change the culture of basketball into a way that it blossomed in popularity in large part afterwards. They were rock stars as freshmen. I remember covering a game, the Fab Five, they came to Evanston to play Northwestern. I was working in the local media in Chicago, and I remember interviewing Chris Weber, and I still remember him saying, we are not ordinary freshmen. We don't have ordinary freshmen goals. They were just different. They were the first, and and there's never been anything quite like them. The Fab Five are number five on today's list of the coolest athletes of all time. Number four. Four is Joe Namath. I told you, two of my favorite athletes ever are on the list today. Broadway Joe, now, what can you say? Forgetting the fact that he was one of the first NFL stars that had crossover celebrity appeal, that he was—he did, yeah—he you know, was on the Brady Bunch and he wore the pantyhose and he wore the in the commercials and he wore the fur coat. How about just having the gumption to be a 16-point underdog? Excuse me, an 18-point underdog in the Super Bowl and get up and say, we're going to win, I guarantee it, and then do it. (laughs) What could be cooler than that? Joe Namath, who was just, I've said it before and I'll say it again, my mother would have left my father for Joe Namath, and my father would have applauded that. Joe Namath is number four on today's green list of the coolest athletes of all time. Number three. Three is Clyde. And, and, And you just, if you don't know what, and you can still see it if you watch Nick games now when they show him. They, he still dresses that way. But uh, Clyde Draxler, uh, Drexler, Clyde Frazier, Walt Frazier, at a time when having fashion and all that kind of stuff was not part of it. Like, if you look at the way James Harden and Russell Westbrook and these guys now, Dwayne Wade, are so fashion conscious, that was not at all a part of the equation in basketball or any sport in the 70s. And Clyde came in and was like, heck with that. <laughs> I, I'm going to look spectacular all the time. And he did. Nobody was cooler than Clyde. He is number three on today's list. And, and Clyde and Walt Fre- and, and Joe Namath, absolutely my two favorite athletes of my youth. Number two. But Michael Jordan has to be two. I mean, Michael Jordan changed the world uh, from a fashion standpoint. I mean, he, he remains the most popular athlete in America today, 20 years after his last game. The dunks, the shoes, the commercials, Space Jam. I mean, where do you go? How could you be cooler than Michael Jordan? I was around, I saw it up close. Michael Jordan, he is is as cool as any person I've ever been around in my life. But number one one. has to be reserved for Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali has to be number one because he rewrote the book on what it is to be a person in, in, in the position that he almost alone was at the time. But everything from float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, his eyes can't hit what his eyes can't see. Now you see me, now you don't. George thinks he will, but I know he won't. To if you even dream of beating me, you better wake up and apologize. To all of these, everything that he meant in the ring and everything he meant outside the ring. It, It can't be bigger, it can't be better, and thus it can't be cooler in American sports than Muhammad Ali. And so he is number one on today's list of the coolest athletes of all time. The Fab Five, Joe Namath, Clyde Frazier, Michael Jordan, and Muhammad Ali. So let it be written, so let it be done. Coming up next, Stephen A. Smith said what I was thinking about the NBA. It's a problem, and you'll hear it right after this.
0: Thanks for listening to Greeny, the podcast. You can check out Greeny live weekdays at noon Eastern on ESPN Radio and on ESPN Plus. Also, don't miss Greeny on Get Up, weekday mornings at 8 Eastern on ESPN. This is Greeny, the podcast.
1: Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half.